All right. You guys ready to get in the Word? Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 and chapter 6 and 7 today. All of chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. <laughs> we'll see what we can get to. Oh. <laughs> uh, well, I'm excited to be able to to throw down in the pit this morning. I feel like every time I come in here I'm about to go to war. Because we are. And every day you're called to go to battle if you're a Christian, a born-again child of God. You know, if you could really care less about spreading the gospel, then you really need to check because last time I read, uh, those who are called to be children of God are also called to be warriors, soldiers who have the full armor of God on. And so that's between you and the Lord. If you want to talk to me about it later, we can talk about that for sure. But you are called to go into battle Every time you walk out your front door, and as a matter of fact, go ahead and plan on fighting in your house too. Amen? Because Satan's not relenting, and if he ever does, your flesh won't. So many people say, well, Satan's all over me. Satan's attacking me. Well, he might be across the street, and it's just you attacking you. Amen? You see, we're called to mortify the flesh or put to death the deeds of the flesh through the power of Christ and the blood on the cross. We're called to fight the good fight. We're called to go to battle, and we need to do so. But what I think we fail to realize is why we are called to go into battle. So many times, even if we do start out in the right direction, we so quickly move away from what God has called us to do. And we start to live in this pragmatic way that says, well, when I first became a Christian, it was because the power of God moved in on me and I couldn't help it. I had to tell everybody they thought I was crazy, but I didn't care. If they, if they came against me, I, I counted it all joy because uh, I love Jesus and if somebody that comes against me, that just means I get to suffer for him. Woo! But then what happens? It might last a week. It might last a month. It might last a year. It might last two. But it seems as if the people of God, especially in America, when they're not faced with trials, they're not faced with tribulations, they start to just, oh. And we move from this fiery, excited, passionate, burning fire of the Holy Spirit inside of us to this pragmatic, walk-in-the-part ritual. Well, we got to go to church this Sunday. What clothes are you going to wear? I don't know. What clothes are you going to wear? Well, I wore that last Sunday. Oh, yeah. Where's our fire, people of God? Where's our passion? Where is it? Where is it? What are we doing here? Why are we even here? Why are we doing what it is that we're doing? What are we doing? How is it that we're so easily turning back in the day of battle? How is it that we're so easily extinguished when the fire should be raging? What is it, guys? What is it that would cause us to be silent when we should be shouting? He said, you're too loud, preacher. I need to get louder. How can we live quietly when we've got a God like this? How can we live in silence when he has proclaimed from the mountains what is the truth of God? How can we live so quiet? Well, I'm going to tell you the story of a man today that <clears throat> did not live quietly. He did not die down. He did die, but he did not die down. But he died up. The power and passion built on the way to his death. And I'm going to tell you right now, I think that persecution is good for the body. I think that trials is good for the soul. If the heat's not turned up, how are you ever going to purify the metal that's corrupted? We need the furnace so that we can come out purified, right? 
What good is gold if it's got steel all in it? But if you turn up the heat, that gold comes out the other side more pure, and it's a lot more valuable. Ain't that right, Mike? D-Wayne. Dwayne's like, don't call me that. We've got to get into the Word of God. We've got, to pro- we've got to proclaim the Word of God. We've got to live it out so that. Now, I'm not telling you to live so that persecution would come, but I am telling you to live in a, such a way that persecution would probably come. I'm not telling you to seek out adversity, but I'm telling you to live in such a way that adversity would probably seek you out. If you get along with so to speak, everyone around you and the world just loves you, there may just be a problem because Jesus is counterculture. Jesus is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. And so when you start to live for Christ and you start to live for this kingdom, this world's going to hate you. Why? Because they hated him first. And you're going to die. You're going to die question is, are you going to die down or are you going to die up? Huh? question is, are you going to die down or are you going to die up? Let me read this story right here, and you might say, I see now what you're talking about, preacher. I'm not going to read the whole <clears throat> entire thing, but if we can stand to our feet while I read a part of this word in honor and reverence to the Holy Scriptures. I'm going to start in chapter 6, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 7. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, "It It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, here it is, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parninus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Lord Jesus, we ask as your people, we ask as, as servants, Lord, unworthy of anything, that you would come and write these words on our heart, that you would breathe a fire into us like we've never seen before because we know that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And so, God, we come before your gates beating on the gates that you would open and show us truths of heaven like we've never seen before. We pray it in Christ's glorious name. Amen. So here we have this <clears throat> beginning of this story <clears throat> in Acts chapter 6. It's going to move through to chapter 7, and what we find is you have this situation where uh, some service was getting uh, neglected. We have it happening in our church right now. There are many people who are in need in our church and around our church, <clears throat> and what happens is, is that the, the, the need is many, but the workers are few, right? And so uh, I work a full-time job. Mark works a full-time job. So does Wesley. So does Robert. So does everybody else, and we still try to meet all the needs, and we've got a lot of people trying to meet these needs, but Peter here and the other apostles, disciples, they're saying, there's all these needs to be met, but we're called to preach and teach the word of God and continually pray for the people of God. And so we can't stop doing what we're called to do in order to see to this legitimate need. So we need men of God to rise up. We need people of God to rise up and to be what God's called them to be and to fulfill these needs, to free us up, to free them up, to do what God has called them to do. This is how the body works. The right hand does what the right hand needs to do, and the left hand does what the left hand needs to do. And if you get them mixed up, you look kind of crazy and you can't get it done as well. 
But that's not really what we're talking about today. That's another sermon for another day. Today I want to talk to you about those who were chosen to do the things of God and characteristics of those who were chosen to do the things of God and what carried him through, one in particular, to the very end. And I want you to ask yourself, as a person of God, what is it that's carrying you along in your faith toward the final destination of meeting Christ? What is it that motivates you every day, every morning when you get out of bed to do what you do? What is it that motivates you? What are you beholding? What are you looking at? Why do you do what you do? And let me ask you this. Is what you're living for worth dying for? Is what you are living for, is it worth dying for? The title of today's sermon is To Die For. And I'm going to tell you something right now. You're living for something. You are living for something. What is at the core of your being? What is at the center of all that you do? What is the anchor to your faith? What is the anchor to your soul? What is it that you judge everything else by? What is that thing? You need to answer this. I need to answer this because the answer to that question will decide everything about the minute details of your very existence. The answer to that question will decide why you do everything that you do. And it will outline what the end result will be. Everybody's headed in a direction. And we can only get to where we're going by the steps that we take. You're walking in a certain direction. You're walking in a certain way. The question is, why are you walking that way and how are you walking? We see here that there was a couple of characteristics, and I want to point out three, and then I'm just going to let the Lord do whatever he wants to do. Is that fair enough? We see three things that were true about Stephen, and on those truths... We see him live life, and then we see what happens at the end of his life, and we need to ask ourselves, what will the end of our life be like? If we start like him, we'll finish like him. If we start like him, we'll finish like him. So there's three things that I want to point out right here. In the beginning of the text, and this will set up the context of the story. We see the disciples, they were having a problem with ministry. There were needs that were not being fulfilled with the widows and those who were in need. The other disciples said, it's not right for us to wait tables and neglect what God has called us to do, the, the preaching of the word, prayer. We're going to devote ourselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. You need to pick out for yourself men who are capable, full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. They picked some men, and, they, and it says, particularly of Stephen, it says that he was full of the Holy Spirit, that, that Stephen was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. His faith, he understood the word, he had received the gospel, he had confessed it, he had understanding, which had moved from his head to his heart. He had this understanding, he had a faith, he, had, he, had, he knew God, he understood. But not only that, but he had received God in the fullness and dwelling, indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You see, this is a complete man, and more and more the Lord's teaching me that we need to understand, John chapter 4, verse 23, is that the worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth. So many times in our day and age, in our different churches, the problem is, is that we only want to understand one or the other. So you get Baptist churches and Presbyterian churches and, and all these other ones that they love truth. They're preaching truth. But it's a dead truth. It's words on a page. And praise the Lord, we need the Word of God. I love the Word of God. If you know me, you know I love the Word of God. But what good is the Word of God without the Holy Spirit to teach it to us and write it on our hearts? And you have the other end of the spectrum, the crazy charismatics, right? 
the, the, the holy rollers, the, the pass out on the floor guys, and, and whatever. But, but the, in the end of the day, they have the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's moving, but they don't have truth. But how can you test the Spirit if you don't have truth? First John tells us to test every spirit. Sanctify us in truth. Your word is the truth. And so we go way off over here, or we go way off over here, and the two need to come together to make a complete man who is solid in truth, empowered by the Spirit. Woo, you want to talk about some ministry then? Huh? You get those two together, we're going to do some damage. We're going to do some damage. It says of Stephen that he was a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit. What happens to people who are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit that start to walk and talk in this world? We make our Christianity too easy in America. Uh, We make it blabbable and grabbable. We make it uh, say this prayer, repeat after me, and you're in like Flynn. We make this a 13-letter prayer that by proclamation only, you are saved. No, sir. I can't find that in the scriptures. But it is a life lived out that proves that we really receive the Holy Spirit. We make it too easy here in America. I plan to not make it easy for you in this church. The Bible says that by this we know that we have come to know him, the one that keeps my commandments. If we say that we know him but we do not keep his commandments, we are, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Do not be fooled. I don't say that out of hate, but I say it out of love because I don't want you to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, and him say, depart from me. I never did know you. Does your faith work itself out in your life? You see, one that is full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit moves in a certain way, and when he starts to move that way, attack comes because the world does not understand faith or the Spirit. And when someone operates in faith and the Spirit, it confounds the wisest of the wise, and it makes the the, the wise look so foolish in their own eyes. You say, I'm not that smart preacher. I'm not that good preacher. God is. Amen. You see, in your weakness, his strength is perfected. That's all the more reason for God to get glory when somebody stupid as you confounds the wisdom of the wise. Amen. Amen. Me too. I'm a hick redneck who was hooked on meth. What better? Look, you can't tell me my God ain't real. I was talking to an atheist on Facebook last night. Got you. Don't believe. Yeah, till 12.30 a.m. And I was working it, baby. <laughs> I was using my apologetics, right? And I typed out this long response. And I had him, I, I think I had him backpedaling. I got you, atheist. And I typed out this long response, and I was about to hit send. And the Lord said, wait. Wait. He's about to ask you a question. Don't send that. Because, now this ain't in my notes, but we said we was going to let the Lord go wherever, right? (laughs) If you remember, Paul said, I came to you with no lofty speech so that I might not make the cross uh, void of its power. Oh. I get so wrapped up in apologetics and all my lofty thinking that I would empty the cross of its power. What if I made him look foolish on my own power? What have I done for Christ? It's in my weakness he's made strong. And so the Lord said, what? I was like, wait. And then a question popped up on my screen that he had typed. And he says, How do you know? How do you, what happened in your life? He said, most people have some type of something happen in their life, this and that and that and that and, that and this. And I said, I just, I copied all. Now, this is my, unfa- my lack of faith. 
So I copied my response. I highlighted it and I copied it. And so I guess I needed it later. <laughs> and so I erased it. And I said, well, I typed a long time to get that thing out. And so I, and I, and I responded. I said, I said, I was exactly like you. And I met Jesus. Okay. He says... And up to this point, I had been asking him questions, trying to show him how absurd his worldview was, right? And I, I think I succeeded, but I probably shouldn't have said that. That was kind of prideful. My bad. But the Lord did this because he started asking me questions. So I said, well, I was, I was exactly like you, but then I met Jesus. And he types very sarcastically, smugly. Oh, where did you meet him? I said, he, he said, where did you meet him? I said, Oak Grove Road. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> no, that was the truth. And he says, uh, well, I just need more evidence. I'm, I'm, I need materialistic evidence. He's going to have to show up and shake my hand. I said, well, I met him on Oak Grove Road. He didn't shake my hand. He shook my world. And then he said, well, I live on so-and-so road in Roebuck. Tell him to come see me. I said, will do. <laughs> he said, good night. I said, good night. <laughs> now, what do you think I did? I got on my face and I prayed for the Holy Spirit to go shake that man. And I prayed for his protection. Because... From my reading of the scriptures, oftentimes when a man makes that type of push on the Lord, the Lord a lots of times shows up by killing kids, taking jobs, uh, draining bank accounts, devastating tragedy in the life. But what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his own soul? So we pray for Scott. I'll just give you his first name, that he would come to know the Lord and that Jesus Christ would grab him and sh not his, don't shake his hand, shake his life. Now, I, I told that story, I think, because you see, Stephen was a man who lived by faith and by the Spirit. You see, we can formulate all kinds of responses, and we're doing apologetics class right now, and I think that's good. We need to be ready in season and out of season. We need to be, as 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, we need to be what? Ready to, we need to be prepared to make a defense for anybody that would ask us. So we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. But at the end of the day, it needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit that moves on that person in order for them to believe. And it needs to be the power of the Holy Spirit that moves on you in order to equip you to do what needs to be done to get them to a place of understanding. It's got to be the Holy Spirit all the way around. You see, when the Holy Spirit starts moving and you start speaking from the power of the Holy Ghost and not the power of your own thoughts, your own knowledge, your own understanding, but through the power of the Holy Ghost, things get real, real fast. Because what you'll find is you start to blow people's minds and you didn't even know you were blowing their mind. Listen to what the Bible says. It says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, cessationists say that the gifts of the Spirit ended with the apostles, that only the apostles exercised these gifts for a certain time for a certain reason. But Stephen is not an apostle. Stephen is a guy that was in the congregation who loved Jesus, was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and was appointed to, to wait tables. That's what the text says. But it says, as he was moving in faith and in the Spirit, he was doing many wonders and signs, and they could not deny it. It said, then... Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians, 
uh, and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Now, Stephen is not the main guy. You see, it seems to me, now I'm kind of drawing this from the text, but it seems to me a lot of the times they won't go to the one who's proclaiming the message, but they want to go get the the sheep. They want to go get the ones that they think might not be as powerful. Let me tell you something right now, people of God. If you are full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, you don't need a degree in theology. Now, I did not just say that understanding the scripture and the gospel is not important. But what I'm telling you is that the power of the Spirit and the power of God is able to confound the wisdom of the world through the foolishness of man. Amen. You are called to be obedient and faithful. You are called to open your mouth when God calls you to open your mouth. You see, they attacked the... the, the this is later, will be, these will be the deacons. But they came to attack the ones that were waiting the tables and not the ones proclaiming the word. But does it matter? Listen to this. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the free men, they came uh, and they rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. It says they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, my question to you is, is that are you willing to take the risk and let God use you through the opening of your mouth that you might display power and wisdom in the glory of God? You say, I, I, don't, I don't think that I could do that, preacher. Well, how do you know? And the bottom line is, are you willing to take the risk? Well, I just don't know about that. I might get embarrassed. Well, Jesus died on the cross for you. You won't get embarrassed at Bilo for him? I'm just saying. Uh, you know, Jesus Christ had stakes driven through his hands. He had, he had stakes driven through his feet. He had the meat ripped from his back. And you won't get stumped in the parking lot. You say, well, I might not say the right thing. Well, God never says the wrong thing. You know, I, I've had encounters with people, and I just thought, man, I screwed that up. Man, I just made a mess of that. But you know, God has a I've preached sermons in this church. Walked out. Wesley's been there. Robert's been there. I was like, oh, what did I do? <laughs> Terrible sermon. Man, that just fumbled over my words. Got stuck. Couldn't find my scripture. Oh, you know, how worldly of me. How prideful of me to think that God needs me to preach perfectly in order to do his work. Oh, how foolish. How dumb is that? I've had people come to me, and, and, and I'll, I'll never forget this. I'll, I'll use this example a lot. I just got finished preaching a sermon, and it was a good one. <laughs> At Fairview, it was a good sermon. Boy, I was laying it down, and they was picking it up. You know what I'm saying? And this guy came up to me afterwards, and in my pride of preaching my good sermon, you know, he came up, he said, he said, I just got to tell you, brother, your words just affected me. And I thought I was thinking of my sermon. I said, I did do pretty good, you know? And then he says, then he says, that night we talked in Bilo parking lot. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I was like, when did I see you in Bilo parking lot? What are you? No. It wasn't the great sermon that you thought you put together. It wasn't the great argument that you're formulating right now for that certain person. It was that time when you didn't even realize it, and the Lord used you because you were available, and you opened your mouth, and he spoke. I tell you right now, if I come in here and pride and arrogance poke out my chest and think I'm something, I start preaching, I make my own preaching void. It's, it's crazy. I'm not worthy to sit up here. I, I've, got, I, I've told you, you know, I've been mean to my wife the past couple of weeks. My bad, babe. I love you so much. I've made her cry. I've, I've been aggravated with the boys. You know, I've been, I, I've just had sin in my life, you know, frustration, not, not, not living in peace. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness. Man, I shouldn't even have started that list. I'm getting so convicted. But as we live faithfully, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, willing to open up our mouths, we will confound the, 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 the wisdom of the most wise. But what happens is, is that people start to come against you as well. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we, had heard him, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. So they incited men. They drummed up some stuff against him. And they said, uh, we're accusing him of speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. This is what he's doing. He's changing the customs and he's rewriting everything. This guy right here is a heretic. He's telling all these lies. So they came, uh, they came to him and they incited this crowd. And they said, this man right here is a liar. He's telling lies. He, he's distorting the truth. He's a heretic. If you've not experienced this and you're not preaching the gospel, I know I've experienced it. I know that people have come against me and I used to get worried about it, but now I appreciate it because when you preach the truth of the gospel, when you preach the truth of Jesus Christ, the world will rise up and it will come against you and you say, amen, I have spoken the truth. Amen. You know, and if you're, if you're preaching it and you're teaching it accurately, you're going to get it from both ends. The liberal's going to hate you and the conservatives can't stand you amen. because you're preaching Jesus. You live in Jesus. Christ is in the center. So they come against him. They lie against him. And they make all of these accusations against him. And there's so much here. I wish I had more time. But, but just a couple of things. And we're going to go to the end. And I want to show you that he died up and not died down. It says, after when they were bringing these accusations against him, it says, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, does anybody just... Off the top of your head, remember another man whose face glowed like the face of an angel. Huh? Moses. When he came down off of the mountain and he had been meeting with God and he received the truth of God, his face shone like the face of an angel. It was so bright that he had to put a veil over his face because the people couldn't stand it. You get it? The people couldn't stand it. The people couldn't stand it. The world hated it. They hate it. How many of you have found, how many times have I heard that, that I, can't, I can't give my life to Christ because my friends will turn their back on me? I, I, I can't choose Jesus because, because I'll lose all of my friends and my family will go, praise the Lord! No man has given up father or mother or brother or sister or anything else that hadn't received a hundredfold. Jesus Christ is worth more than all of your relatives put together. Amen. If you receive Christ and your whole family leaves you, you'd break and you mourn. Praise the Lord. Pray for them. But you take courage because many have shown in glory. Their faces have shone like the faces of angels, and people hated them for it. In this passage, we find the scriptures and Luke, as he's writing Acts, taking a historical record and, that, and gazing uh, at him. All who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They saw the glory of the Lord in this man's life. They saw the glory of the Lord in this man's life. So what does Stephen do? He preaches the longest sermon recorded in the New Testament. That's why I've got about another hour, baby. <laughs> well, I don't want you to kill me. <laughs> Stephen answers them according to their folly. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So they had made accusations against him for blaspheming Moses and God. And he sits down and he outlines. Now, I'm not going to read the whole sermon that he preached, but go back and read it. It's beautiful. He goes back and he outlines exactly what it is that he believes and preaches about the Old Testament, about Moses and uh, Moses in Egypt and coming out of Egypt and delivering the people. He preaches exactly what it is that he 
believed out of the Old Testament, and he set the record straight. And then he looks at them and he says this. You stiff-necked people. Now, they had come against him, and they had made accusations against him. He could have died down. He could have calmed down, and he could have said, okay, okay, look, I'm just, I'm just a table waiter here. You need to go talk to Peter. You need to go talk to John. You need to go talk to James. I, I'm just, I, I'm just, I just love Jesus. But no, he answered the fool according to his folly. And he laid down the gospel. He laid down the gospel that led from the Old Testament all the way up to Jesus Christ, who was the prophet that Moses prophesied about that said, there will be coming one like me. And then he says this, looking at them. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. You always resist who? You always resist who? You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. You see, men of faith, women of faith, they speak the truth. In season and out of season, those who are full of faith and those who are full of the Holy Spirit, they preach the truth without hesitancy, without slowing down, without dying down, without any hesitation. They preach the truth. And it's going to cost them. Now, as we end this sermon, I want to show you what happened at the end of Stephen's life and at the end of his proclamation of the truth of God. I want to show you what the result was, and then I'm going to ask you a question. It says here, it says, Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. When they heard these things... They were enraged, and they ground up their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped up their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man, a man named Saul. And as they were stoning, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. As we read that, there's two ways to look at this. One way to look at this is to look at this that happened to him and say, that's not right. That's not right that God would let him go through that. That's not right. You say that God is all loving, but look at this. Look at this. He was murdered. What kind of God allows his so-called man to be murdered? What type, of, what type of God would allow someone to be in this much pain and, 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 and smash in the face with rocks until death? You saying this is a good thing? See, that would be dying down. Do you remember at the end of Christ's life, when Christ was on the cross, <clears throat> all had abandoned him. There was, a, there was a couple of people there, but all had forsaken him, nearly all. And many of us think that Jesus Christ is able to save us to the uttermost because he was beaten by Roman soldiers, because he was whipped with the cat and nine tails, because he was nailed to a cross and because he suffered physical pain. 
And while that is true and while that is, is part of the story, the greatest pain was not the lash from the whip. The greatest tragedy in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was not the meat that was torn from his back or the nails that was driven through his hands and his feet. What was it? It was what was in the cup. Wrath of God was in the cup. You see, on the cross, Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of men. But more than that, he experienced the wrath of God. He experienced utter loneliness as he looked into heaven. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All alone, Christ died on the cross. But you see, Christ died all alone under the wrath of God that we might not die alone and that the wrath of God would be taken care of in his body. You see, as Stephen died, instead of looking at it and thinking, how could a God allow this? We look at Stephen and we say, praise God for this gift How can one die in such a way and still gaze into heaven and look at the the Lord and say, God, don't hold it against them? You see, we we don't view death like everybody else. We don't view trial and trouble and suffering like everyone else. You see, we have hope. We have a reason to do what we do. We have something that undergirds everything. I ask you today, what is it that you hold on to that you think that you are going toward that gives you reason and gives you identity in your life? It will it last to the very end. Christ alone is worth dying for. You see this statement here that Stephen makes, he says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. You see, while Christ died alone on the cross, Stephen dies with his advocate right there, right in view. And upon gazing into heaven, he sees Christ standing at the right hand of the Father. This is the only instance where this is mentioned like this. And I can only imagine, now this is me gathering this from the text, I can only imagine that this is conveying the idea that Jesus Christ, because he's seated at the right hand of the Father everywhere else, that Jesus Christ, who says, those who acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge them before my Father, has stood up off of his throne and is ready to embrace Stephen. This, this! This, this is what carries us. This is what carries us. This is what keeps us going in the hardest of times. This is what we can lay our life down for. We can give our life away. We can pour it out. We can give it away. You can take my life, but you can't take my Jesus. You can't take this. And I know it. I can see him. I can see him. This is why church as a pragmatic solution won't work. I'm not dying for the church dying for Jesus I'm not dying for a system of religious rules I told the atheist last night he says I hate religion I said I do too hate religion I hate religion systems and and, and, ah, I hate it I want to be free Christ says you're free you're free indeed you see I want to I want to gaze into heaven like like Stephen I don't know that what I'm dying for is worth dying for right I see my king. I see him in the spirit. I see him in the word of God. When I see him, oh, it fires me up. Get up here. And I, even though I'm a sinner, I, pre- I preach the paint off the walls. I, not because I'm that good, because I love him that much. Even when I say it wrong, I'm going to say it passionately, right? Who are you living for? Who are you dying for? Would you die for? Is he, worth, is he to die for? You see, you lose sight. You lose sight. Oh, we lose sight. Only because we're dumb.
take our eyes off of Christ. We, we take our eyes off the Word and we, 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 well, I, I ain't seen Jesus. Well, where'd you go look for him? You spend any time with him? No, I ain't spent no time. Well, you've you been in the Bible reading his love letter to you? Oh, well, no, I ain't, I ain't really been in the Bible. Oh, yeah, have you been in prayer? Well, no, I ain't really. Pray. Well, you, you've been meditating on the Word of God? No, I ain't really meditating. What have you been doing? I've been playing video games. Been looking at porn. I've been greedy. I've been working back in that money. That money's why I live. That money's why that money ain't going. That money ain't going to stand up at the right hand of the Father when you die. It don't love you. It don't care for you. It's not committed to you. It ain't died for you. But you'll die for it. Gossip. Slander. Facebook. Ugh. I hate Facebook. I can't get off of it. Ugh. I'm really, I'm serious, I'm telling you. Things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do, I don't want to do. Who will set me be from, free from this body of death? I hate religion. I'm glad we didn't get religious today. I'm serious. You know, we got a certain way we normally do things in here. We need to shake it up. We just shake it up, just be shaking it up. Tell Jesus that we ain't got to do it this way. What you want us to do? We just stay here all day. I shake it up one. Johnny, don't be shaking your head. You're freezing. Run around a little bit. Somebody get that on camera. Woo! Put that hat on and do it. Hey, listen. In all honesty, I'm being serious as a heart attack. And I'm going to make a statement right here. Denomination will not help you die well. I, you know. We need to get into the spirit. We need to understand what that means in truth. I, don't you want your faith to be real? Real, 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 real. You know, don't just go to church. How many of y'all just go to church? Don't raise your hand. Don't point to the guy next to you. How many of y'all just go to church? Man, ain't you tired of that? I mean, I know our church is fun. It's good. It's fine. Maybe we should make it less fun. Hey, I had a guy tell me one time, I had a guy tell me one time, say, uh, if a non-believer, I heard this in a sermon actually, he said, if a non-believer can sit in your church more than three weeks in a row and feel comfortable, you ain't doing something right. I say amen. I hope you all up in knots. I do. I pray you can't sleep, you can't eat, you sick. You come to a brand and say, I, I am those things, what's wrong? You could be constipated or the Holy Spirit could be working in your life. We really need to be affected by God. Why is that so funny, Johnny? You got problems? <laughs> hey, you th hey that, that, why we laugh? Because we know we need to be affected by the Holy Spirit. That's a good point. We need to be affected by God more than some illness. Does it have real, does your, does your interaction with God, does it have real physical uh, symptoms? I'm serious. Do you, we, I was listening to a sermon the other day. This is, this is a little example. I didn't expect this. I did not manifest this. I was listening to a sermon the other day. Paul Washer. If you don't listen to Paul Washer, repent and go listen to Paul Washer. He was preaching a, a sermon on the glory of God and he got to this place and the student stood up and asked him, said, in a sarcastic way, he was at a university and said, how can, how can one man die on a cross when so many died on crosses? How can that save everybody in the world for their sin? 
He said, I'll tell you what, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Now sit down and shut up while I answer the question. And he starts to talk about the glory of God. He starts to talk about the sinless lamb who received the burden of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He talked about the glory of God and how Christ is worth more than all of mankind put together. The glory of God in Christ that dwells bodily in, in Christ is worth more than everything in the world. Every diamond, every jewel, every ounce of gold and every person, every man, woman, and child and infant, Christ is worth infinitely more. He was poured out on your behalf for you. And I wept. Oh, I wept. Ugly snot bubble tears. Uh, uh, uh. You know why? Because it affected me to the depths of my soul. Because I saw my sin and I saw the blood of Christ poured out on my behalf. And it ripped me into. Is this you? Or do you just go to church sometimes? Sunday just going through the motions be ravaged by God be sold out in love with the master and the creator of the world with Thomas we look and we see him and we feel him and we touch him and we say the Lord of me and the God of me my Lord and my God Isn't he worthy? Isn't he worthy? He died for you. His blood was spilled for you. And he drank down the cup of God's wrath to the last drop for you and your sin and your sick sinfulness that it might be swallowed up and he might say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? You've been swallowed up. As we all stand to our feet, let me ask you this. Who do you have your eyes on? And will the thing that you cast your eyes on, will it carry it through to the end? Can you gaze into heaven by the power of the Holy Spirit and see Christ standing at the right hand of the Father? Is he your Lord and is he your God? Can you stay with, say with Stephen or, or with Thomas, my Lord and my God? I don't preach religion here this morning. I don't know how. Jesus Christ crucified for the wicked that he might impart to you righteousness that is beyond imagination set you on a path to die up for Christ is he worthy to die for men and women of God is he worthy to die for is he worthy to die for I give you this opportunity to respond where you are or up here. There's nothing special about the front of the church. We just use it as a gathering place of those like-minded people that would like to get down low on their knees and on their face because you don't want to get down behind the person in front of you. Come on up here. Stay there. Stay wherever you want to be, but do business with God. He is worthy to die for. We must die to self and live to Christ. What are you going to do this morning? What are you going to do this morning? Let's stop playing games, church. Let's stop playing games and let's lay our lives down for Christ. He's worthy. He's worthy. Jesus, I thank you for these men and women of God. I thank you, God, for those who are in this place who may be unbelievers. And they are exactly like I said, God. They are eat up with conviction. They are eat up with, with, with this guilt. I pray, God, that they would come and lay it down at the cross of Christ. And it would be covered with, this, with the blood of the one, the only sinless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Come and do business with God wherever he leads you.